Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly. Our topics this week, it is now officially Mayor Lucas. Apparently, it's not going to be Senator Sebelius, and it most certainly was a duller muller, plus roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and welcome the newest member of the Kansas City Star's editorial board. Michael Ryan grew up in Kansas City, left town to pursue his journalism career, and has now returned home to write for the Star. Ryan's columns have already attracted much attention. Unlike the other local star columnists, he writes from a center-right or conservative point of view, a view that is welcomed by many. Michael Ryan, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. You wrote that when you first came back home to Kansas City, you saw a lot of things that were very familiar and uh, welcoming, but you saw other things that were somewhat troubling. What were they? Well, principally the, the crime rate and the violent crime rate. I was surprised about my hometown having such a problem with that. And, uh, and I think it's going to take, and I've been writing about this for years in other locations, I think it's going to take a real comprehensive approach to attack that and to get the violent crime rate down. I think there's an effort coming up, and I've wrote an editorial about that. It's called KC Common Good, and they're going to be rolling out after the first of the year with a very comprehensive approach to fighting crime, which is not just law enforcement, as you know. It's all about family, morality, education, poverty, hope, health care, all kinds of things. Let's talk about a couple of local stories. You've arrived back at the beginning of a new mayoral administration. What are your thoughts about Quentin Lucas? Do you think he'll be a strong mayor? Well, I don't have to be objective. I'm on the opinion desk. Right. Uh, I find him extremely impressive. I've been around the block a lot, and this guy is right at the top of my list of all the politicians I've seen. Uh, if, he, if he realizes his potential and uh, stays out of trouble like so many politicians get into, this guy has superstar written all over him. Uh, we just had a meeting with him yesterday with the editorial board. The man is just articulate as can be. He's on point, and he is brimming with confidence, even more so than during the or even after the election. In the last few weeks, he's just really full of confidence and, and raring to go. It's a pretty exciting time. Starr also writes frequently about the Jackson County property tax situation yeah. and uncharacteristically, I think, suggested a tax reduction. Well, um, I, I, it's characteristic for me, and I, you know, it, it, I don't know if we're talking about a tax reduction so much as uh, reasonable increases, right? Yeah. Uh, when the assessment, the value... Not the 500% increases that right. some people have received. When, 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 when the valuation of your property by the county goes up so high that it, it, it almost pushes you out of your home, something has to give. Now, um, it would have been my preference that they would have been a little bit more flexible in how quickly they raised those mm -hmm. valuations. They, they're being very dogmatic, I think, about saying they've got to follow the law, they've got to follow the law. But, I mean, if you have to raise it dozens or hundreds of percentages, 
then you haven't been following the law in the past. And there's something wrong with the law. Uh, I know you write a column. Do you do that weekly? Yes. And what day is it going to be published? No, no particular day, uh, just when it comes up, which I think is a good thing to do. Because rather than sit there and say, well, I've got to have a column for tomorrow, you're really going when you've got it. Uh, and what other chores do you have on the editorial board? I write staff editorials, which are without bylines, and uh, along with everybody else on the staff. So, Do you find yourself in the minority most of the time? Oh, I wouldn't say that. Um, I, it's... Um, <laughs> I got to tell you that, that uh, the editorial page editor, Colleen uh, Nelson, has put together an incredible staff. It's the best I've ever worked with. Dave Helling is a, a superstar. Mm -hmm. He is uh, probably the backbone of the staff. Melinda Henneberger is a top national columnist. Uh, and Toriana Porter, Porter uh, has incredible sources and incredible insights into things we need to know about. So, um, you know, when you come in when you're the new guy, you do a lot of listening, and that's what I've been doing. Well, but you're here to lend some ideological balance, I would assume. Yeah, I certainly have my views, and I haven't been shy about piping up. What other them. columnists do you like? I don't mean local ones, but national syndicated columnists. Who do you like? Well, Cal Thomas has become a friend of mine, so Cal's right up there. Um, I appreciate, you know, I, I still miss Mike Royko. <laughs> that's going way back. Uh, I'm, uh, James Kilpatrick has never been replaced, um, but uh, you know I really gravitate toward people who make sense to me. Uh, Thomas Sowell is a great one. Um, I, I really like uh, some of the uh, the new ones. Uh, Mark Thiessen I think mm -hmm. does a great job. Washington Post. Mm -hmm. uh, in a few seconds, if you can, and this is a difficult question to answer in a few seconds, but <laughs> a quick overview of your political point of view. Your My political philosophy. point of view. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, Are you conservative? Is that the right term? Well, you know, I'm not huge into labels, but uh, I, I suppose most of my views are right of center. I happen to think that uh, the most important thing in our country is uh, the Constitution, you know, the rule of law. It's really what makes our country exceptional. And I think American exceptionalism isn't really understood by a lot of people. I spoke to a few years ago to an assembly of eighth graders. The, the teacher told me afterward they never heard the term. So, uh, you know, if you want to put the uh, Constitution in a corral and put me in there and label it, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I, th I know that the founders aren't real fashionable these days, but to throw them out throughout their teachings, throughout their legacy is a huge mistake. What they have bequeathed to us is incredible and exceptional. All right. Thank you very much. It's great to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thank Look you. Look forward to your columns. Appreciate it, Mike. Mm -hmm. That is Kansas City Star editorial board member and columnist Michael Ryan. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus! Jamika Kendricks is an educator and education activist. Joining us for the first time is Alana Rately, former executive secretary of the Kansas GOP and now executive director of the 19th Amendment Centennial. Lisa Johnston is a columnist and consultant, and Woody Kozad is president of the Kozad Company, a government relations firm. Welcome to all of you. Thank you very much for coming in. A special welcome to Alana. Good to have you with us on the panel. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. All right, let's start in Kansas. The star's Dave Helling, with apparent disappointment, writes that former Governor Kathleen Sebelius appears unwilling to run for the open U.S. Senate seat next year. As a result, Helling believes that Democrats may be handing the seat to Republicans. While some Democrats have announced they're in, Barry Grissom and Nancy Boyda, 
Helling says they attract little attention. And because he believes only Sebelius can win, Helling concludes Democrats' bench strength is pretty sad. So is that fair to Kansas Democrats? Luckily, we have one on the panel, so let's ask her. Lisa? Well, I disagree with a lot of the positions that Dave took in this article, particularly that the bench is a key variable here. And let's look at the data. In 2008, we had the quintessential bench candidate, former Congressman Jim Slattery, who challenged Roberts. Roberts got approximately 730,000 of the around 1.2 million voters. Then in 2016, little known Lawrence attorney Patrick Wiesner challenged Moran and he, Moran ended up getting 730,000 approximately of nearly 1.2 million voters. So what this shows us is that there are 730,000 Kansans who are predisposed to vote for a Republican candidate, regardless of their background. So the bench is really not the key variable here. In order for a Democrat to win this race, they would have to pull between 150 and 180,000 votes away from the Republican candidate, which is an enormous, if not insurmountable, lift. So one thing that I think it could be competitive, but it would need a dynamic change. We would need an independent candidate who is very compelling, who turned it into a three-way so, three race so that each of the so candidates could do you win. think Sebelius is not going to run? Apparently she said absolutely she's not. She said no, and I think in part why she said no is because she's smart. She's a smart politician. She understands the numbers I just gave. This race is extraordinarily challenging for Democrats in that the Republican candidate almost always outperforms the Republican candidate for president in Kansas. Alana, are Republicans in Kansas trembling at the prospect that Kathleen Sebelius might consider running for the Senate? You know, she would be a hard candidate for them to put, put forth. I think that would be difficult for us, more difficult than other ones that are lesser known. But even if she were to run, I'm not so sure she would win. Um, you know, we have good candidates already running. There are several good candidates who have announced that they're going to run. And there are more who haven't announced yet who may be coming forth. So regardless of who the Democrats put forth, I think it's going to be, uh, it would be very difficult for them to get that seat back. I think their best case scenario would be to get a Republican as a nominee who was a divider, who people, you know, who was controversial in the public. That would be the easiest way well, for Republicans. Jamaica, some people might lose. think Chris Kobach would fill that bill, be controversial and uh, a divider. Uh, what do you think? Do you think uh, Republicans in Kansas ought to consider nominating a woman like Susan Wagle, president of the Senate? Um, I think Republicans need to choose somebody other than Kobach. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure who they would choose. I did like um, what I've read about Waggle so far, but I'm also like, when it comes to looking at who's running, one of the things that's very frustrating for me is when the parties say, well, we don't have this person running and we really need them in order to win as if it's all on that person. And with Sebelius, when I was thinking about her, I'm like she started doing public service in 1987 in the Kansas House of Representatives. So she's given over 30 years of her life to public service by the time she stopped in 2014. Why are we saying she has to run in order for Democrats to have a chance? And even looking at Pompeo, where we're saying he needs to jump into the race. I think um, at some point, the parties have to look at themselves and say, why don't we have somebody that can step in it's this, after somebody's it's, given it's, us it's this? It's antiquated bench philosophy, which is outdated. Look at Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Sharice Davids. None of them were bench candidates. And so,
people go back to that, but it's really a faulty Woody, line we, of thinking. We were talking before the program right. started. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Woody, what about Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State? A lot of Republicans are hoping he gets into the Kansas Senate race. He has a real job. Uh, I don't. You know, when remember when Hawley was talking about whether he'd run for the Senate, yeah. and I told you then it, it, he shouldn't do that because either he loses and damages his career or he gets elected and has to be in the Senate. If you're Pompeo and you're the, seriously, Secretary of State, man, this is a job. You want to go sit in the Senate with 99 people who mm -hmm. can't uh, work well together? He would be secure in the Senate for at least six years. He may not be secure as He may Secretary be out of, of there in a year, but he yeah. will have done something. If Sebelius runs, I can't wait till they show healthcare.gov. Yeah. You may uh, know, the, the rollout of that. HHS yes. secretary yes. And yes. said, just not, go on your computer to healthcare.gov. Not a proud can, moment. No, it wasn't. <laughs> not a proud moment. All right. As of August the 1st, Quentin Lucas is officially mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, succeeding Sly James. KCURFM 89.3 on your dial asked five former mayors to offer Lucas some advice. 93-year-old Charlie Wheeler said, Go where the problem is, an approach he says worked for him. Wheeler also told the station he's going to run for office again at 93, but serve only one term. It did not say what office he might run for. Emmanuel Cleaver emphasized the importance of a good relationship with the council. Mark Funkhauser says don't try for big projects early in your first term. And Sly James advises his successor not to be fake. All said they enjoyed being mayor, it's a great job. None of the five suggested Lucas resign before it was too late. <laughs> so if you were asked to give Mayor Lucas a good piece of advice, just one piece, what would you tell him, Woody? Well, first of all, you're talking about Charlie Wheeler because you want him to run so you can do your Charlie I, I'm Wheeler just, imitation. I'm just quoting him. About. Okay. <laughs> so the, uh, I think the best advice he got when I read that article was from Funkhauser and from Mayor James. And don't try to do anything big right out of the gate. And Mayor James said, don't promise anything you're not sure you can deliver. And both of them said, get ready for the next recession. And that's right. I mean, the business cycle runs out sooner or later. And it, he, you're the mayor for the next four years. Sometime in that four years, it's running out. And there's going to be a recession. And you need to, that's another reason. Don't try something big coming out of the gate. You're going to have to pay for it in a recession. So I think you do two things. You go in there and you look at what he's promised to do work on existing infrastructure. That's one of the big things you do. Don't do a big project. Don't No tax increases, because in the middle of a recession, that isn't a good idea. And then start planning during that recession for what you do in the next boom, because that, if you're lucky, comes near the end of your first term. So that, that's what I think uh, you do. A lot of Sly James said, you can't be a fake in this job for long. Do you think you can be a fake for a while? I think a lot of people, when they're running for a position, right, how real is, is that persona? You really don't really get to know them until after they win the election. But I think something he's doing really well is um, reaching across the line. You know, he's spoken to uh, people from both parties. He's spoken to people from both sides of the state line. And I think, you know, in the political climate we're in right now, a person who's going to be a uniter and is going to bring people together is going to be really a breath of fresh air. Like, people are going to respond to that and receive it. And so I would say that would be the best thing to continue Jamaica, to do. you're a Kansas City, Missouri resident. You're very interested in all of this. What do you think of Lucas? What advice would you offer him? Um, the advice that I like the most that he received and would probably be what I had given him, even if I hadn't read it, was about relationships that came from um, Congressman Cleaver. 
um, relationships are key. And then the other is be true to who you are. Because if you're always true to yourself and who you are and you're, and you're displaying that, then you don't get caught up in people saying, well, you were pretending to be this over here and then we found out this is who you were. So if you're true to yourself and you're building the relationships with people, which I think he's doing a good job of right now, then that sets you up for success in the future. Uh, Lisa, I know you watch governments closely. Uh, what do you think uh, you could tell Lucas he might consider doing? I think the most important thing for him to focus on is pragmatic issues that help people in their everyday lives. Dealing with needed maintenance, infrastructure improvements, community safety, policing, crime, affordable housing, all of those things are better than what Funkhauser referred to as BS, building mm -hmm. something. Do something that makes a difference for people every day and you'll be popular. And what? I think that's who he is. Like, I think that's his personality and that's what his passion is. Mm -hmm. And so if he's true to that and he sticks with it, I think he's going to be hugely successful. I watched this uh, program that Michael Mahoney on Channel 9 put together called Chronicle the Lucas Campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the final phase of the campaign, Lucas was saying to his staff, we did it. <laughs> Potholes were the answer. And you know, right. that may be true, Alana, uh -huh. that, that basic city services yes. are why city governments exist, not to build hotels. They yes. may build them later, but the first job, the most important job for a city government, I think, is to take care of basic services. Absolutely, I would agree with that because people are going to complain about that first when it's not being mm -hmm. taken care of. Uh, uh, maybe the best advice we can give. Lucas is, don't take advice from everybody. Do what exactly. you think is Have best. Your own vision. It, it, it's worked for you so far. Don't pay too That's much right. attention to what everybody there else go. says. There you, go. there you go, Quentin. You can trust me. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Only two American presidents have been impeached by the U.S. House. None has been convicted by the Senate. Richard Nixon probably would have been the first to be both impeached and convicted, but instead he became the first to resign. After former special counsel Robert Mueller's lackluster testimony before two committees, and that is a generous characterization, some analysts thought the Democrats' drive to impeach President Trump had been halted. Apparently not. The House Judiciary Committee wants grand jury documents, and that requires litigation and more investigation. There does seem to be, however, an internal debate among Democrats. Should they seek to remove Trump through impeachment or wait until next year's election and hope voters do it for them? So, Jamaica, as a Democrat, what path do you want Democrats to take? I want them to stop. Like, I am so tired of hearing about impeachment, and I am not a Democrat. Yes. I'm an independent. Thank you. I, yeah, um, I'm sorry. However, it's an independent Democrat. There we go. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, so the last impeachment we had was with Clinton. And um, Department of Justice said we spent about $1.2 million um, trying to go through the process of, of him being impeached. And then he wasn't. Um, and so in today's dollars, that's $1.8 So we're about to spend almost $2 million to try and impeach a president who could be voted out by voters in the next election, which is a year away. Why? And I know that $1.8 million is a drop in the bucket when it comes to our national budget. However, it's still $1.8 million. And for regular people, that's a lot of money. What could we do with it other than going after a president when we know that the final result is he's not going to be impeached? 
Well, we do know that a lot because the Senate is controlled by Republicans and it would take a lot for Republicans to convict another Republican in the White House, in this case, Donald Trump. Yeah, it would never happen. And I think people, you know, Nancy Pelosi is smart enough to know that, and she's trying to lead her party to tell them, hey, you know, let's move on and get some of our issues on the plate in the election year. If they continue to go down this impeachment route, none of their issues are going to be heard, and nobody is going to be interested in what the Democrats have to be offered. And do you think all the talk about impeachment from Democrats is having any effect on Trump's popularity ratings? They're not you know, real Trump's, high, but they haven't changed, have Trump's they? Trump's support are going to be his supporters no matter what. They don't care. So they want this over with just as much as people that are independent want it over with. You know, we're, we're, we're just done with it. Like, yes. move on. And you don't do anything for yourself if you just keep beating a dead horse. They haven't been able to prove anything. Okay, let's, let's focus on some real issues. People don't want just drama all the time. Yes. Uh, Lisa, from your perspective, do you think Trump has done anything that would justify an impeachment? You know, it's very, very debatable. There are some people who argue that he, quote unquote, obstructed justice. But usually there has to be some kind of an underlying crime to go along with that. And so there's a lot of back and forth. Some people say, no, you can still be convicted of that. Others say, no, there needs to be an underlying crime. Let, it's let me it's not you. clear. Let me interrupt you just a second. I'm sorry. Uh, Democrats are still saying he colluded with Russia, even though I think the report said he did not. What, what is your opinion? Well, is that over? He did not. I thought that Mueller very, very clearly, both in the language of the report and in his testimony, indicated that he could not say that Trump colluded with the Russians. Now, he, I think in some of the language indicated that there was some conduct maybe that was unbecoming or there have what been some contacts right, that were that, by things the that we would not have liked to have seen in a presidential <clears throat> candidate, but he never did say that there was collusion. And so to put that forward, I think, is a mistake because both the written report and the testimony contradict that. Now, unfortunately, I think that the Democrats think that this is an avenue to get Trump or to smear him or to diminish his popularity in an effort mm -hmm. to win the 2020 election. But it's very likely to backfire when it's yes. not su well, successful. It I, I was going to yeah. say, Woody, is it possible that all this talk about impeachment from Democrats actually strengthens Trump in the long run? It bolsters him with his base. Yes. Uh, I, look, a point's been made about issues. The, one of the strengths of the Democratic Party in a presidential election is that the, most of the media are on their side. Therefore, if they want to talk, if they want to say such and such is the big issue this year, ABC and NBC and CBS are all going to say, this is the big issue. What do you Republicans propose to do about it? That's a big asset for them to have. They need to be talking about something like that, not about in, they're, they're wasting this asset on impeachment talk instead of, as you said, pulling one of their issues out there and getting all the media to say this is the big issue in 2020. They're not doing it. They're doing for Trump what they did during the uh, first election cycle. Like, Trump is the issue. Right. Like, everybody was talking about Trump. And it's like, how in the world did this guy get so popular where all we can hear about mm -hmm. is Trump? When we listened to the debates last night and the night before, what do you keep hearing about? Trump. We're going to come mm -hmm. after Trump. And, I mean, Trump is, like, the only issue mm -hmm. that the Democrats want to focus on. And if they do that, they are setting themselves up not to be successful. They need to have their have own it. message to inspire yes. voters. Well, they need yes. to understand that that was his plan 
Exactly. Well, the instant yeah. he exactly. got Unfortunately, yes. we're not focusing on Trump because oh, it is sorry. now time for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to castigate, aggravate, or frustrate. And up first is Lisa. My roast is for both the NBC and CNN Democratic debate moderators who spent an extraordinary amount of time talking about an assortment of free things and the amount of criminal leniency we could extend to non-citizens to the exclusion of topics like wage and job growth and infrastructure improvement. This is unacceptable and Democratic candidates going forward need to be prepared to pivot to bread and butter issues that appeal to all American voters. Jamaica. Uh, I would like to give a toast to our incoming city council and mayor. I am really looking forward to what we accomplish together um, as we move forward in Kansas City. Woody. I'd like to give a roasty toasty to the Lee Summit School Board, which, albeit tardily, has accepted the resignation of their superintendent. I noticed what they paid him to leave. I noticed what they paid his predecessor to leave. I want them to know I'm available. <laughs> to fill this position, and I am qualified to resign if paid a sufficient amount of money. All right, and Alana? Well, I would like to roast the Kansas Democrats on the Kansas side again because yesterday they are basically belittling women in suburban Kansas, uh, telling the GOP they're only nominating women who are attractive, um, you know, to trick the electorate, the electorate into voting for Republicans. And this is pretty insulting, especially as a suburban mom myself. I think um, we're smart enough to pick a candidate based on their character versus, you know, their appearance. All right, and finally, the Trump 2020 campaign has taken in more than $400,000 by selling packages of plastic sipping devices. Critics of the fundraising effort are aghast, saying these items harm the environment. This is the last straw, they say. <laughs> Trump supporters respond, telling their critics, suck it up. <laughs> And that's Ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckets and the crew, I'm Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night.